Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. We uh, had a, a funeral here at the church yesterday for a dear saint of the Lord in this community and here at King Street, her name, Bonnie Johns. Many of you would know Bonnie. Bonnie has uh, worked in our church office. She kind of was the office manager uh, for many, many years. So if you called King Street, you would have talked to Bonnie back in the day. Bonnie was a pianist and organist uh, over in the sanctuary. Um, Paul Baker, previous pastor here, said that he and Bonnie have probably done more than 500 funerals together, something like that. So just remarkable woman. And as I met with uh, her family, uh, Bonnie was 76, died of a heart attack this last Tuesday afternoon, very unexpected. There she sat in the living room and uh, her husband had left the room doing something else, came back in and Bonnie was gone. She was with Jesus, gone from this earth. And uh, I met with the family and they said something that really, really struck me. And I want to share it with you today. And uh, that's this. They said, uh, you know what? Mom, Bonnie, was passionate about living a transformed life. Let that one sink in, okay? Would they say that about you when they, the family met with you, you know? Bonnie was transformed, or, or I'm sorry, passionate about living a transformed life. What really struck me about that, Bonnie was 76. You know what transformation requires? Constant change. Do you know how many people at 76 love are passionate about constant change? Anyone? Anyone? You hear what I'm saying? She was passionate about, this is a soft heart. This is a heart that was willing, wanting to allow the Lord at her age to, to continue to transform her. Transformation. Church, this is something we have to keep in front of us constantly or else we get in ruts. We get in ruts and we, we, our hearts can grow hard. I want to just start this message today by challenging you again with something that I keep in front of me. Uh, it's, a, it's a statement called, my commitment as a Christian that I, may, I keep in front of me. I quote this in my heart and my mind on almost a daily basis. I've told you this before, I'm going to tell it to you again as we continue to think about transformation. This is a statement that was found tacked on the wall above the bunk of an, an African pastor after he was martyred for his faith. They went back, I mean it was something he wrote out and lived by, it cost him his life and they found this in his bedroom, tacked above his bed. And it says this, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am finished and done with low living. 
sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My way is rough. My road is narrow. My companions are few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up. (laughs) Until I have stayed up stored up, paid up, prayed up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of his. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Amen. I want you to know that that's something that I keep in front of me. Why? Because transformation calls us to living lives of passion, to living lives where we will go till he comes. This is uh, what it looks like to be transformed, spiritually alive, relationally connected, and missionally engaged. You know, I truly do see these as the three core components of living a, a life as a disciple. I don't think when you pull discipleship apart, I don't think you can eliminate these three things. In in other words, these are kind of the essence of what it means to be a disciple, spiritually alive, that we are relationally connected and that we are missionally engaged. You know, um, to, to put this another way so that we really ingrain these things in our hearts and in our minds, I want us to think up, in, and out. You can remember that, right? Up, in and out, up. The question of of spiritual life is who are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Spiritual life is all about this question. Who are you worshiping? Think about the Ten Commandments. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make for for yourself any idol or graven image. When, when Paul was describing in Romans chapter 1 what this world looks like, what this world lives for, he said they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. 
and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. This is the essential question of our lives. Who are you worshipping? Are you living to worship God, living an upward life, spiritually alive, filled by his spirit up? Who are you worshipping in relational connection. The question here is, who is your community? We've seen this last month, we cannot do away with relational connection over and over and over and over and over again. The Word of God says, love one another. Care for one another. Romans chapter 1 through 11 is all about up, all about up. It's all about who are you worshiping? Who is God? Who are you? Who is Jesus Christ? But you get to chapter 12 and it's the word therefore. And that therefore is asking the question, all right, how are you going to treat each other? Love one another dearly. Honor one another. Care for one another. Look it up, Romans 12. It's the, it's the great ethic of the Christian life. And it's all about community. Caring for each other. Third question, out. And the question is, who are you serving? Who are you serving? We're looking at this question this month. Missional engagement is our focus uh, for the month of March. Again, discipleship, spiritually alive, relationally connected, missionally engaged. I, I printed out the lyrics of the Carrie Job song that we just sang. What a great song. That was a great song. And it starts, the only thing I want in life sounds a lot like Bonnie John's, my passion. And it's three things, wouldn't you know? To be known for loving Christ, to build his church and love his bride, and make his name known far and wide. Do you see it? To love Jesus, to love one another, and to go out and love the lost. Jesus himself said, my purpose on this earth is to please my heavenly Father in heaven, to do the work that he sent me to do, to love you as disciples, and then he said, to seek and to save the lost. That is discipleship. Missional engagement. Would you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is uh, truly the go-to passage in terms of of the, the message of Christ in terms of his call to all of us to live a life of missional engagement. It's known as the Great Commission, the end of this chapter. But let's just, as we are in this Lenten season and, and leading up to, uh, to, to Easter, I thought I'd go ahead and just begin in verse 1, reading it for you. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, sat down on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothes white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, as the angels always, this is always their first line, don't be afraid. But I know for I know you're not, uh, that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly. Go quickly and tell his disciples. He's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, ran to tell his disciples. Look down at verse 16. 
Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. You know, there are a million sermons that can be preached out of the Great Commission, to be sure. But I want to focus this morning on an aspect of this of this account that, quite honestly, I had not really uh, noticed per se before or given a whole lot of thought to. And it's the geography of the Great Commission. The geography of it. Why do I say that? Well, here's the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, 65 miles from edge to edge, from the southern edge of the Sea of Galilee down to the northern tip of the Dead Sea. You've got uh, Israel is in this area right here. There's a ridge line. You can see it right here that uh, Jerusalem sits right at the top of that ridge line just off the northern tip of the Dead Sea. That's where uh, Jerusalem, I just said, was. That's where the crucifixion happened. That's where Jesus rose from the dead. But what did he say? He said, I want you to go. Tell my disciples to go where? Galilee. Did you catch it? Go to Galilee, verse 16. Then, the, then the, uh, the disciples went to Galilee. That's up here at the Sea of Galilee. It's a region in that area. It's where Nazareth is. Nazareth is right about there where Jesus was raised. This is where the disciples, most of them were from. They were from up in the Galilee region. And I thought to myself, why is that? That's interesting, isn't it? that he would tell them to march these 65, 70 miles. That's numerous days walk. We see it happening throughout the New Testament. Jesus is back and forth from Galilee down to Jerusalem numerous times. But why Galilee? Why is that? And, and it just kind of dawned on me that, uh, that this is the kind of the, the launch pad for the Great Commission. It's not Jerusalem. It's Galilee. Why is that? Well, I can't say for sure. We don't know that. I'm going to admit at this point I'm reading in a little bit. But you know what? Jesus, when he taught, he often, rare, well, he rarely, better said, kind of laid out theology, 201, 301. It was generally very simple illustrations. This is a seed and a scatterer. This is, uh, these are wheat, or, or this is the soil, or the wind, or the rain. Jesus would often just talk about things around him, and people would go, okay, really? Oh. Well, I want to kind of give you one of those. A tale of two seas. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, separated by just 65 miles. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, actually, as the Jordan flows out the southern end, it actually flows in from the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. I had the opportunity to go to this region about four years ago. This area north of the Sea of Galilee is of the ancient tribe of Dan. Actually, the Danites, one of the 12 tribes originally, were down here along the, the coast, down by Tel Aviv. But the Philistines came in and kind of kicked them out. So they relocated up to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It's called uh, Dan. And you go up into the region of Dan now, and I took some cool pictures up there of, of the water of the water that flowed 
uh, down into the Sea of Galilee. You see, Mount Hermon sits just off to the north of the Sea of Galilee. Sits, I think, at about eight or 10,000. It's snow-capped a lot of the year. And this snow melt comes down and then bubbles up through these living springs. And it is awesome. You see these springs, and there's many of them, of these channels that are flowing down into the northern Jordan then down into the Sea of Galilee. And I took a bunch of pictures of there. In fact, I want to play for you. I hope this works. I, I had my phone there, and I just took about 15 seconds of video so that you don't just see it, but I want you to hear what this place sounded like. I hope this works. Wow, did you hear that? (laughs) It makes a difference instead of just seeing it, doesn't it? When you are there, this living water is just a Dolby surround sound. It is just awesome, the sound of this rushing, living water coming up out of the ground. You can just drink the water right out of the ground as it flows down into the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is one of the most alive seas on earth. At least it was during the time of Jesus. It was a major center of of the fishing industry in the Roman Empire. They say over 20 species of, of fish live there. There's types of biology that are found in the Galilee Sea in that region that aren't found anywhere else on earth. It is teeming with life. And and out of the Sea of Galilee flows the Jordan River. And the Jordan River makes its 65-mile trip down into what? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. Nothing. It is, it's dead. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. it's got up to 30% salt, uh, you know, made up of 30% salt. Nothing lives there. Why is that? Why is the Dead Sea dead? No outlet, right? No outlet. Flow in, no flow out. This water becomes absolutely stagnant. It's kind of the weirdest place on earth because the water is so thick. You can, all, you can almost lay on top of it. It's, it's weird. It's kind of cool. But, um, but nonetheless, I thought about this. A tale of two seas. Galilee makes perfect sense as a launch pad for the Great Commission. At least it does to me. It makes perfect sense that he would send them up to Galilee because when I think Galilee, I think go. I think flow in, flow out. I think vibrancy and life. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. Go, go, go. In fact, I'm going to tighten it in even more. Therefore, go. This is the Great Commission, and I I think of this living, rushing water flowing into the Sea of Galilee and flowing right back out. That's what Jesus has in mind for each and every one of us. That's why I entitled this message, Go Till You Hear and Know. 
Go to, someone has said that to me through the years. Well, they say, I don't know if I'm called to go and be a mission. Yes, you go, right? Go till you hear and know. Because Jesus gave the command, therefore, go. We need to be goers. Now, let me say this. This is not a sermon about going to Africa, all right? You know, whenever I'd hear the Great Commission preached, it kind of all, growing up in the church, it almost always ended up as, all right, now go to Africa. Now, I get that. Africa needs the Lord. And, uh, and, and if you're called, well, okay, let me caveat this. If you're called to Africa, why aren't you there? Okay. Having said that, <laughs> this is not a sermon about going to Africa. This is a sermon about living the call wherever God has placed you. That's what this is all about. This is what Jesus meant when he said, go be my witness. Go be my witness. I want to ask you four questions. Question one, where do you work? Where do you work? He's going to tell you right now, there is somebody who needs to know the love of Jesus where you work. There is. I want to ask you a second question. Where do you live? Because there is someone in your neighborhood who needs to know the love of Jesus. There is, I promise you. Where do you live? I want to ask a third question. Where do you play? Where do you enjoy? Where do you go out to eat? Maybe the why? Where do you work out? Where do you go to have fun? What do you do? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there are people who need to be loved by the love of Christ where you play, where you hang out, whatever league you're in or team you're on. I'm going to ask you students, where do you learn? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example through your speech, your life, your love, your faith, your purity. Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you play? Where do you learn? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and live out the Great Commission. This is where we go. I thought about a story as I close um, about uh, this last September or so, a man in our church, Eric Goyer, and his wife went with Samaritan's Purse to Africa um, to look at some of the places where the Operation Shoebox boxes, Operation Christmas Child boxes, have gone, and, uh, and millions and millions and millions. And, and as these shoe boxes are handed out, what they give out is just a, a little 12-page, 12 12-chapter, 12 just a little workbook, primarily to the students. And, and the particular week that uh, Eric and his wife were in Africa, in this village where the shoeboxes months earlier had been given out, obviously they're, they're in probably middle summer, they had invited a, a group of 12 to 14-year-olds, middle school students, back to lead them through these 12 chapters. Eric said that about 80 students, Kids, 80 students came uh, as a result of having received the shoebox and met Christ as a result of it. They were coming to learn and they did these 12 sessions. Eric said that many of these kids walked hours just to be at that class every time. And he said when they were there, they were having this ceremony because they had made their way through this 12-week uh, discipleship manual. They were having this ceremony, but he said, Eric said, they did not call these 80 12 to 14 year old students graduates. They were called evangelists. Evangelists. I'm going to ask you right now is there a difference? Huge difference, isn't there? 
A graduate. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. See how far I've come. Here's my piece of paper. Been through the class. Dead Sea. Evangelist. Sea of Galilee. Now that you've received what you have been taught, what? Go. Share this with somebody else. You are commissioned now as an evangelist. Do you know what? As I was thinking about what Eric was sharing in that little simple 12-page booklet, do you know that we, yes, so many people say, well, I don't know enough. I'm not sure I know enough that I can go and share. Oh, my goodness. We know 99.8% more than what the whole world knows about Jesus. And the question we all, I think, have to face is Sea of Galilee or Dead Sea. What is it? Is the living water of Christ flowing through me and back out again on people all around me where I live, work, play, and learn? Jesus, we come before you this day. I pray, Lord Jesus, that this sound that we just heard of the living water flowing down into the Sea of Galilee, that that sticks with us. Lord, that we would thirst for this living water. Lord, this isn't even so much a sermon for the head, it's for the heart. God, my soul, my heart yearns for your life, for your living water, that my thirst would be quenched, Lord Jesus. I need you, oh, I need you. Flow into my life and into my heart. Fill me up so that my cup overflows. And Lord Jesus, might I be like the Sea of Galilee, flowing out. By that outflow, just keep me alive. Might I have a passion, Lord Jesus, to be transformed by you, constantly alive, constantly giving, sharing. Lord, might my life be marked by these things, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing of the mission that we all have. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.